0: Welcome to the Primal Endurance Podcast. Slow down and enjoy the show, where we rap, literally, about everything you need to know. I'm your host, Brad Kearns. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey, endurance athletes. Do you want to go faster with less stress, pain, and suffering? Sounds good. Let's title this show, Minimize Stress, Maximize Improvement going to share some recent science, highlights from previous shows, bringing it all together, some personal anecdotes, things I've learned over the past six months, uh, making some dramatic changes in my long-time training patterns to great benefit, and propose something to you to change your mindset, your mentality about how you approach these ambitious endurance goals. The basic premise here, the argument is that we presented at the start of The book, Primal Endurance, too, the centerpiece argument is that uh, endurance athletes are engaged in overly stressful training patterns and lifestyle patterns such that we are working really hard in the wrong ways, compromising our potential and tempting breakdown, burnout, illness, and injury. So raise your hand if you're listening and you had a season of competition or pursued some ambitious goals in recent years and suffered some consequences of overdoing it. Could have been an injury, could have been just a sense of burnout where you had to take time off, or you got sick, even minor illnesses. I reflect back, now you can hear the stuffy nose that I have, that I get a very, very mild cold, maybe at a frequency of once a year, uh, since I've been eating primarily, this is now 11 years into my experiment. (laughs) And boy, before that, I would get three to four colds every single year when I was a racing athlete on the circuit, traveling a lot, training really hard. I would get at least six times per year a knockout cold where you feel really crappy for a week. And then the second week, the symptoms are somewhat clearing, but you have abnormal sensations of fatigue. You're just not quite right, but you can go out there and exercise. First week, by the way, if you get a Uh, immune disturbance of any kind, even a minor cold, sore throat, uh, I strongly advocate that you don't do any training. You can move, you can exercise, you can go for a walk if you feel like it, but you absolutely have to pull the plug on all workouts until you start feeling normal energy and alleviation of symptoms at rest. But a week into our cold, things are going to start to feel a little better, energy is going to pick up, and you can consider some light training. But it's such a disastrous mistake to try to continue to maintain some semblance of uh, usual training patterns when you have an immune disturbance. just absolutely doesn't make sense. It extends things out longer. Sometimes you get more sick, so you have a cold and you lay back for two days and then you get right into it with your planned 50-mile bike ride on the weekend. And then, oh, let's check in on that person Four weeks later, and they've come down with bronchitis, pneumonia, whatever happens all the time. Or you have uh, you you throw your back out, or you strain your calf muscle, and it's uh, injured for five or six weeks because your body just was just not right when you were fighting that immune battle. So no training when you have immune disturbances. Exercise, sure, that's fine if you feel like it, but probably better to uh, allocate more time to sleep and allow your athletic body and your fantastic immune system to knock out the invader. Uh, Conversely, if you're an athlete and you continue to train, you have a really crappy immune system, much worse than someone who's uh, laying around at rest and doing what they're supposed to do to fight the illness. The other thing I like to advocate when I have a slight immune disturbance or feeling off in any way is to fast until you start feeling uh, your symptoms alleviate. So the best thing to do when you feel a cold coming on, sore throat, A hot head, or whatever those sensations that you're familiar with when you're coming down with something, don't eat any calories. When you are in a fasted state, your immune function heightens, your autophagy heightens. You are at your best as a human. Your systems are functioning optimally when you're fasted. Of course, we have to eat and process energy and restore energy that we've burned up, but we want to direct all our attention to immune function, and it's long-known scientific fact that fasting is the optimized state of immune function because all your energy is going toward uh, the, the battle, okay? Also, when you're feeling lousy and you don't eat, guess what? You're, you're already pretty tired because you feel like crap, and then you don't have any food to give you that burst of energy to get up and go on and carry on with your busy afternoon at work. So the worse you feel, the more likely you're going to do what you're supposed to do, which is to pull the plug on your life and rest and take a half day and go home early and go to sleep. But if you get those calories in your system, especially carbohydrates, it's going to give you a quick burst of energy and you're going to go out there and possibly, very possibly, compromise your immune system's ability to fight things off. So when I have this slight cold coming on, I completely pull the plug on workouts, and I don't eat, and so I feel like crap, I sleep more, I don't get a lot of work done, and I have one to two days of diminished personal productivity, and then guess what? I start feeling better on day three instead of day 14, which is usually what happened in my past life when I was a high school collegiate runner a professional triathlete getting out there and thinking that if I just took one or two days off, I could get right back on the bicycle and keep pedaling and keep my mileage up. And I can look back in my training logs, if you don't believe me, I'll take screenshots and put them on Instagram that you have crappy sensations for 14 days total when you have even a slight cold. The first seven days are profound physical symptoms where you sound like crap, you're coughing up stuff, you're tired, you got a headache, uh, elevated body temperature, whatever. And then the next seven days are a slight sensations of fatigue. And believe me, that's important to someone who's trying to perform at their very best and target these important upcoming races, knowing that we're five weeks out, four weeks out. You don't want to be dragging around with a crappy week of diminished energy because you didn't take care of your cold properly. So, this is all lining up to the central point of the discussion here which is to put recovery or stress management at the forefront of your training philosophy so the centerpiece is recovery Joel Jameson creator of the Morpheus app legendary trainer of MMA world champion fighters his website eight the number 8 weeks out.com has this concept called recovery based training absolutely brilliant where recovery is the centerpiece, knowing that when you stress your body in any way, shape, or form, you're going to get a fitness adaptation. Uh, For endurance athletes, it doesn't even matter uh, the specific nature of the way you stress your body. I guess unless you're training for the Olympics and trying to prepare for that last quarter mile sprint finish at the end of the 10K run in the triathlon, and you're going to go do some specific track workouts for that, But for most of us recreational participants, you go out there, you push yourself hard once in a while, you get a fitness adaptation, and it's probably 19th on the list of top 20 most important things to succeed with your training program. Yet we spend hours reading magazine articles and books talking about zone three and zone four and our threshold workouts and what rest and work intervals we're going to do. Is six times three minutes better than five times four minutes for Uh, development of anaerobic threshold? Or is that more of a VO2 max thing? And then I get these questions that are going into the extreme details of how to structure a workout. (laughs) And if we can back up 10 steps and put recovery at the forefront of our training patterns, that would be a huge breakthrough right there. So a starting point. What does that mean? First, let's talk about volume of the cardiovascular output. We know how important it is from listening to the podcast for years to emphasize aerobic development, understand the critical distinction between maximum aerobic heart rate and workouts that drift beyond that precious level, which correlates with your maximum fat oxidation per minute. So this math heart rate, the 180 minus your age, the most important thing to measure As an endurance athlete doing cardiovascular workouts, that you want to do the vast majority of your sustained cardiovascular workouts at or below maximum aerobic heart rate, which calculation is 180 minus your age. Dr. Maffetone has an assortment of adjustment factors to dial it in further. For many people, they are compelled to subtract 5 from 180 minus age. If you've had illness, injury, breakdown, burnout in your recent history the last couple of years, you're going to take 5 off that. If you're taking any prescription medication, you're going to take 5 off that. Maybe even 10, I can't remember. Uh, if you've had a recent surgery, you're going to take 10 off your math number because uh, it's quite an ordeal to recover completely from any kind of surgery, even minor surgery. Same with the meds. The meds are doing things to your metabolic system that compel you to minimize the stress impact of your workouts. So bummer, I know, next time you're at your checkup, you can ask your doctor about that low dose of statins. Every time someone talks meds with me, I hear that rationalization. Oh, but it's just a low dose. Yeah, I take antibiotics all the time so I don't get a flare-up of my eye condition, my friend said to me recently. I'm like, do you? what do you mean all the time? Like nonstop? Oh yeah, I have to take it or else. But it's just a low dose. Um, that doesn't sound like too much of a winning formula to me to have indefinite antibiotic prescription. I know another person that's been dispensed antibiotics indefinitely with no distinct finishing point, unlike the routine use of antibiotics, which tackles a acute illness. And of course, we get to take those to save our lives. That feels good. Good idea. Rebuild with devoted use of probiotic supplements and high probiotic foods, the sauerkraut, the yogurt, the kimchi, the kombucha. Oh my gosh, I credit my healing of a couple years of slightly disturbed gut function with slight symptoms here and there, kind of annoying little things, uh, especially related to workouts and experiencing gut disturbances. And I started to just pound kombucha uh, corresponding with the time they started making my own at home. Instead of paying up the nose for those store-bought products, which actually have a lot of a little to a lot of infused sugar uh, after the fact. After the kombucha is used, and they flavor them. That's why you see the twenty-seven different colors. But when you really make a nice home brew kombucha, I brew three gallons at a time now, four gallons, and I consume that amount in uh, every three to four weeks. So I am drinking that stuff, cutting it with bubbly water, and drinking it throughout the day. And I do think that had a fantastic Uh, contribution to giving me complete relief from these annoying symptoms that I experienced for a couple few years after a string of surgeries and massive antibiotic doses in the hospital. Uh, Also taking the uh, different products. So uh, mixing it up, I love this product called Flourish from Integral Health. It's a liquid probiotic. You can order it online at their website. Uh, Primal probiotics are fantastic. They're known to be some of the most potent you can buy. And then I'll have those two as a baseline, Flourish and Primal Probiotics, but also go to the store and just grab some. You like those little shots of kind of a yogurt-type drink where you just hit one of those single-serving things and toss it in the garbage, boom, probiotic shot for the day. Or the, uh, the Gut Shot is a nice product in a, in a gra- glass jar you can find at health food stores. So just trying to mix in different probiotic supplements as well as all the nutritious probiotic foods and get that stuff handled to recover from antibiotic use. But as this thread is trying to pull back, we were talking about the uh, importance of uh, honoring that maximum aerobic heart rate and making the honest adjustment factors. If you're taking uh, prescription drugs, if you had struggles, injuries, you're going to subtract five. And then the other thing I want to layer on top of this is the many, many questions and comments wondering if the individual enthusiast can raise their math number a little bit for whatever reason. It doesn't seem to be working as well for me as my friend. She's got much fitter in the last six months, and I have the same race time when I go out there and compete, or whatever their rationalization is. And we want to take a few steps back here and realize that this maximum fat oxidation per minute is, by and large, a very, very comfortable heart rate to exercise at it can be frustratingly comfortable to be limited by that beeper alarm and i'm the first one to admit because when i go out there and play speed golf i'm going very slowly (laughs) it was nice to have that memory of being an elite athlete and running six minute miles at my math heart rate so now father time whatever other reason less training uh, my math heart rate is around nine minutes per mile. <laughs> so I've lost three minutes per mile in 20 plus years since I was uh, at my peak fitness and actually had a higher number, of course. So I was younger, also fitter, and able to run a really impressive pace at math and have some nice, uh, enthusiastic workouts. But now, nine-minute mile, my goodness, I got to distract myself with a podcast because it's so slow. Adding insult to injury when I'm out there on the golf course, fascinating for all speed golfers listening. When I slow down and drop my clubs and address the ball and take a swing and then resume running, the slowing down to hit the golf ball actually causes a spike in heart rate. So if I'm running along at my math heart rate of 130, 128, 129, 131, oops, you know, running along at math pace and then stop and hit a ball. The beeper alarm will go off, so I have to go even slower to kind of recover from, I guess, the explosive event of hitting the golf ball to maintain that math pace. And frankly, I did not do very well for a period of about two months, where I really binged on speed golf uh, in the winter in Sacramento. The great thing about speed golf is when other people don't want to play because it's too cold, drizzly, whatever. The course is open for the speed golfers. And of course we don't get cold because we're running through the course. So I played some full speed competitive simulation rounds where I'm well over my math heart rate for the duration of the effort, which is 45, 50, 55, 60 minutes getting up even into anaerobic threshold numbers if I'm really doing simulated competition. But in many cases, I'm doing a black hole effort just to complete a golf round at an ambitious pace. And I will come back to that and tell you what happened. But as we continue in order here, the most important thing for the endurance athlete is to honor that MAF heart rate. Uh, A little bit of discussion about what that maximum fat oxidation per minute is, is. This is from laboratory data as well as Maffetone's longtime field data with thousands of people that he's worked with the point where you're burning more fat calories per minute than any other exercise intensity is the correlation of maximum aerobic heart rate. So you're getting the maximum aerobic stimulation with a minimum amount of anaerobic stimulation. Now, if you were to continue to escalate your pace, even a little bit above that math heart rate, you are going to burn more calories per minute, of course, because you're going faster Right? However, your fat oxidation is going to drop in favor of an increase in, you guessed it, glucose burning, sugar burning. And with that sugar burning comes more oxidative stress, the accumulation of stress hormones, a little bit more fight or flight stimulation in the bloodstream. And as you drift up to the higher levels of this black hole zone, you are also getting some lactate accumulation, acid accumulation in the muscles. So creating that muscle stress, all those things conspire to extend recovery time and also challenge your general state of health and immune function. So a black hole workout, not very strenuous. It's not like an intense interval, tempo, time trial where you're up there at anaerobic threshold where you can feel and acknowledge how difficult it is. It seems like another routine effort, but you are compromising fat burning around the clock and teaching yourself to be a sugar burner instead. So you have compromised fat reduction goals when you go at slightly too difficult a pace. Even though your watch says you burn 673 calories that hour instead of the usual 555, that is going to be a setback when it comes to getting better at burning body fat around the clock. Not to mention the effect on your immune function and your general state of recovery and preparation for the intense workouts that you do conduct uh, in the interest of your competitive goals. So what I'm trying to say, especially when we're bumping up against that math limit and feeling frustrated, is that I'm going to suggest that you slow down even further and don't even worry about bumping up against your math. limit. Maximum very often. As a professional, when I was putting in a lot of hours, a lot of training, and traveling in a very high stress situation with a lot of difficult workouts and races as well, most of my workouts were 10, 20, 30, 40, even 50 beats below my maximum aerobic heart rate of 155. So they were highly, highly calibrated to fat burning, minimal oxidative stress, minimal stress hormone production no lactate accumulation in the muscles, and they were super, super easy. But these workouts have a tremendous benefit to your overall fitness base and your aerobic efficiency. That's why you hear the reports from the world's top marathoners like Kip Jogi, the greatest marathoner of all time, Iliad Kipchoge. you may have heard of him. He ran a 201 marathon recently, 2018, breaking the world record. He did that Nike uh, two-hour barrier uh, organized event, not an official world record race, but they ran around a uh, automobile racetrack and he ran two hours and change, just trying to see if the human is capable of breaking two hours in the marathon. And experts believe that this guy is going to knock it off pretty soon. Who knows? At his next big major event. So this guy, at the highest level of human performance, his training uh, information is absolutely fascinating. There's a whole show on it. You can Google the fluid kip choge's training and get deep into this concept of how the greatest runner of all time is training but what's really really interesting is the minimal stress impact of his routine obviously he's an elite athlete difficult to compare what he's doing to a mere mortal Uh, but his training is so comfortable and he never really goes to the well and trashes himself or risks injury breakdown burnout and illness He's performing at a high level. He's training at a phenomenal level. If you went and watched him every single day, running 17, 18, 20 miles per day average, he's hitting 120 miles a week, week in, week out with minimal standard deviation. So he's running between 118 and 130 miles per week every single week, even leading up to major marathons. He's just going out there and doing the work. And he has an impressive long run where he's going at a, uh, a fierce pace. What is it, a 520 or something? But again, that's like 40 seconds below his uh, minutes per mile pace when he's setting a world record in the marathon. So it looks impressive from the sidelines, but he's under control at all times in all of his workouts. Uh, one of my listeners wrote in to me and said he, he did a comprehensive analysis of all, all the reporting and trying to calculate what his maximum aerobic heart Rate pace was, even though they didn't uh, register heart rate values in these reports of his training that you can find on the internet, but he calculated it out based on his marathon pace and the Maffetone research correlating your marathon pace with your maximum aerobic pace. I believe maximum aerobic heart rate is 15 seconds per mile slower than the pace that you can sustain for a marathon. So uh, the report back from Jack, his name was, was that, uh, uh, the average Division One NCAA college runner does workouts that are far more difficult than Kipchoge's on a routine basis as they're training for the sectional meet or the Pac-12 conference semifinals or whatever. I'm mean, a much lower performing runner, but still very impressive uh, high-level collegiate athlete, but they're doing workouts that are harder and trashing their bodies more than the greatest marathoner. So what this guy's done and what he's shown is capable of of just being consistent, uh, not overly stressing yourself at any single workout, not overly stressing yourself on any single week, month, or year, and just building, 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 and allowing fitness to build. And then, of course, the competitive effort, the competitive event where he's going out onto the running track in Italy and dropping down, what was the pace, like 440 per mile or something absolutely insane that correlates to a two-hour marathon that is going to have a fitness adaptation that will take hold in the body and last for years ahead. And the same for you. Whatever speed or race you're doing, when you go out there and perform and give a maximum effort, that's going to have a fabulous training effect on the body. You don't have to go and approximate that uh, for the next six weekends in a row. You can let it sink in and train in a comfortable, gentle, natural, intuitive manner bringing workouts up to maximum aerobic heart rate if you're feeling it that day and it feels comfortable, which it should. But on other days, maybe you're just doing jog walk or maybe you're taking that bicycle and pedaling it so slowly that you kind of feel ridiculous on the bike path, but you're getting an aerobic conditioning effect. Dr. Maffetone states this so clearly that any workout of any length, even a 10-minute brisk walk around the park while your kids at soccer practice, instead of sitting there and gossiping with the other parents, these workouts add up and accumulate over time. The increased general everyday movement will have a fabulous effect on your aerobic conditioning and your competition level performance. Ah, it seems like such a relief that we don't have to go out there and get our calibrate our, our wattage meters or our heart rate right before the beeping level. Just go out there and move your body and you're becoming a better aerobic athlete without the stress of those black hole or maximum aerobic workouts every single day. And now I'm going to put in a plug for uh, what happened to me during those winter months is I was bumping up against my aerobic maximum uh, several days a week. I was going for 18 holes instead of nine because I was getting out there first thing in the morning rather than last guy at night where I don't have time to play 18 holes. So I had upped my training considerably from my historic pattern of the previous years where I'd play speed golf now and then and usually nine holes. And I started to feel like I was getting pretty fit. I was turning in some good rounds. I felt comfortable out there. My endurance was good. My legs were good. And guess what happened? After you proceed for three, four, five, or six weeks with these Partial black hole patterns, nothing extreme, because I'm supposed to be a smart expert spokesperson on this stuff. I wasn't an idiot, but I was tempting and pushing the boundaries of my ability to withstand stress. Yes, you can guess I started to come off of my uh, stress hormone high and start to feel progressively worse, almost imperceptible, but I'd come back from successive workout or successive golf round and feel kind of crappy instead of normal. Uh, Then, you know, two weeks later, uh, even more crappy where I feel tired, uh, you know, stiff in the muscles the next morning. All these things were starting to unwind because my workout patterns were too stressful. And I couldn't help it, man, because I love speed golf. So I wasn't like pushing my body or uh, trying to motivate myself to do something stupid. It was natural. It was flowing. It was pleasurable. And then I finally realized, oh my gosh, I have to invent a new sport. What sport did you invent, Brad? I invented cart speed golf. Yay! That's right. For only six more dollars at the Sacramento Public Courses, I could rent a cart along with paying for my golf round. So instead of slogging through uh, four to six mile endurance run where I'm running those long distances between my drive and the, the ball because <laughs> I hit it so far and then running again from the uh, approach shot to the green and accumulating all that endurance work and constantly hearing that heart rate beat. because if I des- as I described, uh, hitting the ball causes a spike in heart rate. Instead, I grabbed the cart and still played at a quick pace. So I was basically doing wind sprints because I wanted to simulate the competitive experience of speed golf, right? Where I'm uh, uh, hitting balls quickly, uh, uh, my heart rate's elevated, that kind of thing. So I would just kind of wind sprint from the cart to the ball and uh, hightail it back to the cart and then drive the long distance, pop out, run up to the putting green, putt it, go back into the cart, drive over to the next tee. It was great. So it was like a series of uh, little wind sprints and not that uh, uh, chronic cardio stimulation that you get when you add up these rounds if you're doing a couple, few, several rounds a week. So I minimized the stress impact of my training, started to feel better, and as a consequence, started to rethink my uh, longtime commitment to daily cardiovascular exercise. Uh, you know, getting out the door every morning and going running for 15, 20 minutes. You've seen me on YouTube doing the unfrozen caveman runner. If you haven't, go to YouTube and type in unfrozen caveman runner. It's this incredible strategy that I discovered where I go in my morning cold plunge every morning and then pop out and go for a quick uh, aerobic run to rewarm. So very slow paced, getting my joints and connective tissue warmed up, but I go for 15, 20, 30, 40 minutes, and it doesn't even feel like a workout because I'm still trying to uh, warm my body temperature up from the cold exposure. And I'm running along on a norepinephrine high, so I feel alert, energized, focused, and much less perceived exertion than a general run. So I'm doing those for fun, doing my speed golf rounds for fun, but kind of getting lazy or second-guessing the need to just head out there for no reason and put uh, put in time on my feet at an aerobic heart rate. Uh, It's a nice way to start the day. But oh, yeah, that's what happened. Uh, We got on to book deadline too. So I was feeling pressed and stressed for time. And so I started to experiment with uh, skipping a lot of uh, routine morning cardiovascular training sessions. Guess what happened? Yes, I missed nothing. I lost zero aerobic conditioning. And now this takes us back to the research from... Uh, Even going back to Dr. Kenneth Cooper aerobics, Dr. James O'Keefe with his TED Talk, uh, Run for Your Life, uh, but not very far and at a slow pace, and the conjecture that it's very easy to basically max out on your aerobic fitness benefits with a couple few hours a week. You don't need fuel on these fat-burning workouts. In fact, you shouldn't be taking any fuel, man. You should be fasted. So don't make fun of my mispronunciation. And don't eat that gel next time you go out for a job. But by skipping some of these aerobic conditioning workouts that were very low stress, I didn't really lose any conditioning. What did I gain? Possibly more energy to apply to the brief explosive workouts that are a fundamental component of improving as an endurance athlete and are widely disregarded by mileage junkies. Ah, yes. And by devoting more energy, by allocating more energy to sprint and be explosive, I open myself up to wonderful improvements in all areas of performance. Not just the explosive stuff, but the endurance goals that might be the centerpiece of your existence. So we're going to do a whole nother show now that we've become more sensible and emphasizing recovery rather than mileage on the aerobic, the cardiovascular side. Now we can package... The whole deal, get that intensity going, that explosiveness going, and be the best you can be in endurance goals with less stress, less pain and suffering than the long, flawed, and dated mileage obsessed approach. Thank you for listening to part one. Please package this puppy together with part two, and you will get everything dialed in. It's going to be a great upcoming show. Have a nice day. Go check out Fit. I hereby bestow upon you a fabulous 20% discount on your course enrollment just by typing in the words BRAD20 when you go to check out at primalendurance.fit. Thanks for listening. Send me some emails at info at primalendurance.fit. Questions for the show. We'll cover those in a great Q&A show. But right now, man, we got to change. We got to ditch the high-stress, mileage-obsessed approach, put recovery at the centerpiece, relax enjoy yourself out there don't worry about the top level of your math heart rate take it easy get some exercise get some movement have a great day so chris kelly nourish balance thrive we're we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's primal kitchen uh, condiments on the table it's true my daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the primal kitchen wilder <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing actually she does we have a local state park called wilder ranch oh yeah and uh, she calls the ranch dressing wilder ranch dressing <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that it's just too perfect <laughs> so, so endearing uh, how old um, is she She's four. Oh, my God. So she likes, like, the mayo on a Oh, yeah, on... she so she loves those. So we love them as well. We, have, uh, we, we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo, we eat the balsamic, we eat the, the ranch, um, the avocado oil we use all the time. And, and so, you know, that's completely genuine. And I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish, Balance, Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. <laughs> and uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> it's my pleasure.